Morning, Fair Hill Church. If kids want to head out, they can do that. All right. It's good to be with you this morning and uh, to praise and to worship. And uh, once again, we are looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we are hitting one of the kind of the, the great climactic moments of uh, basically the, the life of Jesus. Today we're looking at uh, the transfiguration, the transfiguration, and it's coming just on the heels of uh, what I know, well, I was not envious of Steve, uh, what the call to, to pick up our crosses, to deny ourselves, and to follow Jesus, to, to enter into death, that this uh, sacrifice of Christ is not just something that we, we witness, it's also something that we then walk in. And that can be quite a burden for us. It's not this kind of joyful message. And oftentimes that becomes the, that can cloud our judgment, that can cloud out our eyes, and then we just see the, the burden of the call before us. And we miss that it came with this, this great promise. This great promise that, yes, Jesus will, he will suffer and he will die at the hands of the religious elite, but that those standing before him, they will see the kingdom of God come in glory. They will see the kingdom of God come in glory. And that is the great, the great promise. And that is where we're looking to. It's to that future glory. And so uh, today we get a taste of that. It's not, the, it's not the full thing yet, but it's a taste of that heavenly glory that is to come. And it is that which sustains us. As we call, are called to, to pick up our crosses and follow Christ, we don't just follow him into death. We follow him into majesty and glory and we have a savior who is who is god and he is majestic and powerful and reigning over all of creation and we get to enter into relationship with him and are glorified in him and with him that is a kind of the sustaining uh focus that i want us to, to see this week that we see kind of this, this encouragement through the glory of Christ, that we see evidence of his deity, that this isn't just pie in the sky, this is real. And finally, we see a, a, an exhortation to continue in suffering for the glory of Christ's name. So let's go ahead and read Mark 9, verses 1 through 13. Mark 9, verses 1 through 13. Excuse me, 2 through 13. We'll skip, skip verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're all here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did know, not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they saw, uh, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, 
how do the scribes, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you allow us to to see your glory and your majesty in the face of Jesus Christ. And that we do not have to come cowering or with veiled faces, but we can behold your glory because it comes through through the mediator, through our Savior, through our King, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would uh, even now help us to behold your glory and to see your majesty and to, to bask in your presence that, Father, we would be sustained in the mission that we have been called to, that we would pick up our crosses, not that we might die, but that we might join you in glory. Father, would you work in us uh, that you may be glorified even more as we are glorified with you, we pray in Christ's name. All right, so we're starting with this picture of, of Jesus as God in all of his divine glory. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. All right, so this is as, as close as possible a connection between this passage and that of last week. This reminder that truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God as it has come in power. This is a taste of that. And they desperately need it because they have just been told to deny themselves and to pick up their crosses and to die. And so these these three are chosen to come up with him up to the mountain. Uh, Mountains are often a place where these great things happen, where the the pinnacles and, and revelations happen. And up on that mountain, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant Intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Now up to this point, we have seen a very human Jesus. A very mundane picture, maybe. And that we have seen this divine God, yes, but he is kind of masked in his, the, his human nature. And it'd be easy to take this kind of first century, weather-beaten dirty, first-century man and disregard him. He has no no power. He has nothing in his appearance to entice us. He has no wealth. He has nothing that would draw us outwardly. And then all of that is is peeled away. All of that is, is transformed. The word here is metamorphosis. He is metamorphosizing before us and that, that veil of the human nature is then glorified, and we see the divinity that has been hidden. This is the divine one. This is God in all of his majesty, the one who wraps himself in light, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the one in whom there is no darkness at all. As Tom said in his prayer, the perfect. And it's suddenly contrasted with 
all of the imperfect, all of the, the dirty and the impure, the weak and the, the created. Now I think of the, the light, and I, he, talks about, he talks about bleaching, bleaching garments. He's just like, they're trying to get at this, and it's like not that cool of a picture, honestly. Like, oh, it's like a bleaching thing. Um, I think that the picture that always comes to mind when I think about it is that all right, in a nuclear explosion, what's the first thing that happens? It's, it's light. It's that, you know, the, the air around is reaching 100 billion degrees, if you can even imagine that, and, and the air lights on fire, and it's just exploding with light. This one who is apparently so, so weak and humble and powerless now he is filled with power and glory and majesty. This is, this is Jesus, the God and the man together. Now, for, I have to remind us of that because we can, we can forget that that is really who Jesus is. This should open our eyes and, and sober us once again that this Jesus who we often just think of as, as suffering and dying, he is fully God in everlasting divinity and majesty and transcendence. This is the one that we worship. And his person and his glory should cause us to have great encouragement in this race that we are called to run. And I think that is why, that is why Elijah and Moses had come here. All right, there's lots of theories. All right, why, why, are, why are Elijah and Moses here to, to partake in this moment? All right, there's lots of theories. Uh, maybe it's because the, uh, they represent symbolically the, the law and the prophets. And Jesus is, uh, is the, the better and the replacement of all of these. Maybe it's that, you know, they, they led great expeditions. They led great exoduses. But I don't think that's it, actually. Because these are two very different people. We have Elijah. If you're not familiar with Elijah, he's one of the great prophets of 1 Kings. And he battled against Ahab and Jezebel in their great idolatry. You probably best know him as he's the one who, uh, who battled it out with the prophets of Baal and pours water all over his altar. And fire rains down from heaven and consumes the water and the rocks and the ground and everything is just mutilated under the power of God. All right, that's, that's Elijah. You have Moses. You should know Moses. Most of you know Moses. Uh, the leader of the Exodus. The receiver of the Ten Commandments. The one who parts the Red Sea. This is the, the great leader of God's people. And we ask, okay, why are they there? Why did they come? There's a lot of things that they share, but I think they share something uh, that's fundamentally different than, than anyone else. Is that both of these guys, they went up on a mountain and beheld the glory of God. They went up on a mountain and beheld the glory of God because they were desperately discouraged and worn down and just exhausted from leading God's people. And what do they need? They need a glimpse of the glory of God. 
Now for Moses, he, had just, uh, he just spent all of his time uh, receiving the Ten Commandments, ratifying the covenant, and what he comes down, and what are they doing? The people are taking off their gold earrings, throwing it into a fire pit, and lo and behold, what comes out but a calf? And that blob that comes out of the calf, what should we do with it? We should worship it. <laughs> all right, Moses doesn't want to lead God's people anymore. He's done. He's done. I just spent all this time up, like, receiving all of these commandments. And here you guys leading, like, a, leading a ritualistic pagan idolatry. It's horrible. And so he comes to God and he says, you know, I, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? I need to see you. I need to grasp you. He says, show me your glory. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. The Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. He's taken up to the mountain to behold the glory of God. You can see how dangerous and how many stipulations are put in place to protect him. We have Elijah. Elijah, he's, he's up on the mountain crying out to God and saying, you know, am I the only one left? Am I the only one who follows anymore? Is everyone idolatrous? All of Israel has fallen. God, I, I need to see you. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And, became, and behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? These revelations of the glory of God for these people who desperately needed it as encouragement to continue on in suffering and in bearing their own crosses. But you can see it's, it's, it's just a taste that Moses doesn't get to behold the face. And Elijah, he gets but this like the mere whisper. And we say, why are they up there? They're getting the full taste of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this time, Moses gets to see God face to face in the person of Jesus Christ and speak with him and look upon him without destruction. And we see Elijah, he gets to hear, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He gets to converse with the God of the universe in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, do we see how remarkable this is? And that's where... This is a, this is a, a kind of a, a recasting of all of the covenants and all of the 
the doom and gloom that surrounded God and saying, you know what, now we have a new covenant. And I come to you through Christ, the God-man, and now you can come to me because you have mercy and grace. And I've covered you so that my glory is not something that destroys you and oppresses you, that you have to run from. No, you can run and you can, you can bask in the glory. You can gaze upon it face to face with the Lord of the universe because Jesus Christ died and shed his blood because he, w- he is the mediator. The reconciled between God and man. Second Corinthians, it speaks of these two different glories. And the glories of that old covenant, they were a condemning glory. And a glory of fear and of destruction. And then we have the glory of the new covenant and we can look upon it without, without veiled faces, without cowering. That that glory is for our encouragement, not for our destruction. And we look upon it and we don't see this glory that's going to evaporate us. We see a glory that we actually get to enter into because we are in Christ. That we are in this glorious one. Face to face. Now, why do we talk about that? Who cares? Who cares? All right, we care because, all right, we talk about the cross. We talk about the cross every week as we should. All right. But the cross is in some ways a means to a larger end. It's a means to a larger end that we get to stand in the presence of our glorious God and Savior. And we get to worship and enjoy fellowship with this God who would otherwise have eviscerated us because we we had no right to stand in the midst of a holy God. And my fear is that that the, the focus on the cross for some of you has become this kind of morose, oppressive darkness that like all that the Christian life is just death. It's just like death and death and death and Oh, right, I I need to remember the death more. Uh, It's true, it's true. But it's a death so that you might see the glory of God. And you behold his glory and you might rejoice that you get to have a relationship and stand in the presence of this God. And that for us, to enter into the death is to enter into the glory And that's where I, I can find myself living in this world where it's like, you know, I, it feels like God just wants more and more and more, and I never give enough, and, you know, he just takes things and he, he kills things and asks things to die and all the things I love, like, and missing the fact that, like, he's replacing them all with, with this level of glory. And this level of Drowning us and, and, and overflowing with grace. That we get to share in the glory of Christ. Right? That, that is blessing upon blessing. I think we need to dwell there more. We need to gaze upon the glory of God there more and, and find more joy in the glory of Christ. And that we get to have some part in it.
It would be enough if we just got to behold it without being destroyed, but no, we get to take part in it. And that glory becomes part of us. And we look forward to the day when we will be glorified with Christ and in Christ, not because we work so hard, but because grace has been poured out upon us. Right? That's the sustaining, encouraging, run after Jesus force that says, yes, I, I, I'll, I'll carry a cross to get there. I don't want to just carry a cross to die. I want to carry a cross to, be to find glory in Christ and to glorify Christ and to be with this one. Right? Will you focus on the glory of Jesus this week? Will you, will you call people to focus on the glory of Christ this week? Will the glory of Christ encourage you this week? Now, that then takes us to the next point. Uh, takes us to kind of the apologetic, the, the proof side of this, the evidence that the transfiguration gives us. We've been talking a lot about unbelief and whether or not we can believe these things. You know, if... If the glory of Christ isn't real, then it doesn't matter. But if it's real, and it's something that really happened, then we cannot ignore it. You know, and so we start with Peter, which is kind of nice because he doesn't get it at first. So, uh, Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That's nice. Uh, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a shadow, a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. All right. I like Peter. He shares my namesake. So I feel like I want to give him a little bit of credit. Uh, but I can't here. All right. No benefit of the doubt here. Uh, there's, there's people who want to say like, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe it was the, the Feast of Booths and you're supposed to build tabernacles. And so, uh, you know, he, they needed some to, to celebrate. Uh, uh, the text, it tells us, it tells us. Why did he say this? Because he didn't know what else to say. And he was terrified. All right. Uh, he was completely overwhelmed. He didn't really get it. At worst, he was just kind of terrified, just saying whatever. Uh, or at best. And then at worst, at worst, he's kind of making a power play here. He's like, you know, so, so the kingdom's here and like, let's, let's, all, let's all stay and we can have, you know, have a happy glory fest and let's stay here instead of doing that like dying and keeping up our cross thing. You know, let's just like, let's settle down. Let's settle down and make our kingdom like, we don't need any of that other stuff. We'll forget about those other prophecies and like, let's just dwell here. I, I know that is a temptation for us. That we would gladly receive all of the blessings, we'd gladly receive all of these delightful things and, and throw out the suffering and the death and the, the picking up our crosses. And sometimes we, we think that we can get there and we say, you know what, like, like let's, just, let's just skip ahead. And God, how about I get, I get out of that stuff and I don't really need to... I don't need to be transformed. Like, let's just let's just be comfortable here. Now that's where that's where Peter is, and 
Peter can often be there. But later on, as he matures, as he grows, uh, he reflects back on this. He reflects back on this moment, and it for him, in his, in his dying years, he wants to pass on this moment as proof of Jesus Christ come in glory and majesty, desperate that the people would see it and believe. 2 Peter 1.16 For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is he saying? He's saying, I, I saw it. I saw the, the light. I heard the voice. I was an eyewitness. And not just of that, but of the whole prophetic word confirmed. And you would be right to receive these things. The morning star would rise in your hearts that you would believe that you would believe these things, that he saw Jesus transfigured, he saw him in glory, he knows that he is God. Now we have to ask ourselves, what does that do for you? In your doubts, are you willing for there to be an eyewitness to this? Are you willing to receive his testimony? Are you willing to receive this from someone who wasn't good at suffering? And who wasn't courageous. And who at the first sign of Jesus being crucified, he betrayed him and ran away. But this same, this same man is, is martyred for his faith. And a few years before, what is he saying? He's saying, I saw the transfiguration. My hope is that that, that bolsters our faith it gives us confidence that we're not just running after an illusion. We're not wishing, wishing, we're not hoping, we're not dreaming. We are believing in what has been testified, what has been witnessed. What these men have committed their lives and, and died for. To no gain. Except for the glory of Christ. And that they might enter into this glory. And so what do we say then? We say, will you listen to Jesus? Will you listen to him? And the first thing I want you to listen to is when Jesus says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. You were adopted into my family that it is finished. When he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Will you hear him? Will you hear the message of the gospel and believe it? And, and don't, don't harden your hearts or, or in your pride say, you know, I already heard that. I already know it. No, believe it. Believe it. 
because our, our Lord has said it. He has offered us forgiveness. He has offered us grace and mercy. Will we live in it? Will we listen to the Son? And only then will we then go forward and say, you know what, will we listen to his commandments? Will we love as he calls us to love? Will we bear our cross and deny ourselves? Will we help the needy that we are called to care for? Will we kind of take up the charge of building the kingdom? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Do you believe these things? Will you receive them as one more kind of thing to, to build up your faith. I know there are a million things trying to crush your faith. Here's one, one foundational thing to hold on to. And we desperately need them. All right. Now with that then comes uh, this last reminder. This last reminder, this exhortation, because uh, in beholding the glory of God, we can think, wait, uh, okay, yeah, like, let's, just, let's just be all about the glory. and uh, Hooray, hooray. And we can be over-victorious, and we can think, you know, yeah, yeah I, I want some of that, but, but miss that it comes, it comes once again through the cross. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. All right, so what's going on here? Uh, he tells them not to, not to tell anyone because everyone wants a glorious king. Everyone wants a glorious, powerful, wonderful king, and they're going to follow him. And even Peter himself wants a glorious king and wants to prevent him from dying. They don't want to see Jesus die. They don't want to see him humiliated. They don't want their king up on a cross. And so he tells, says, don't tell them. Don't tell them because they will seek my glory, not my will. And there's a danger that we would seek his, his glory, that we might grasp it, but not seek his heart, not seek his will, not really seek to glorify him, but to glorify ourselves. And that's where, okay, you're supposed, they said, listen, listen to me, listen to the son. And they just heard him say that, you know, I, I'm going to rise from the dead. They have no idea what that means. Do they ask about it? No. Do they believe it? No. Uh, Instead, they ask a whole other question, uh, which is a lot less, uh, a lot more palatable. And they asked him, why does the scribe say that first Elijah must come? All right. Uh, they're asking that because Elijah, in, in Malachi 4, he's prophesied that he would come before the Messiah. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreaded day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. All right, so they knew Elijah was supposed to come, and they're thinking, you know, was, was that Elijah coming? Hey, that was great. Elijah came, came real quick, went back. Uh, now we can move on and get the kingdom done. Uh, once again, they're thinking, you know what, let's, let's move this forward. Let's escape. Let's go straight to the blessings. And Jesus, he takes them back. He takes them back and he says, 
Elijah co- does come first to restore all things. But he asks the second question. Second question. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And that's what Jesus says. You know what? Once again, you're focused on the glory, and you're focused on the blessing, not realizing the, the cost of it. And that the, the better question is, what does it really say about the Messiah? What does it say about the Son of Man? And it says that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. That that is the cost of entering into this glory. That that is the path. And then he says, you know what? By the way, Elijah has come. Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. And he, he reminds them, you know, that was that little blip on the mountain. That was not Elijah coming. Elijah came in John the Baptist. Elijah came in John the Baptist, faithfully preaching the kingdom and repentance and restoration to God. And what did he get for it? He was a, a trophy for a dancing girl as a party favor by a corrupt king. He was beheaded and platter presented. And they're saying, you want, you want to focus on that other Elijah because it's, it's a prettier picture. But the real Elijah, he came. And he followed the same path that the Messiah is going to follow as well. Don't forget that. That yes, this is the great glory, but it comes through denying ourselves, it comes through death, it comes with bearing our cross. And we have to hold both of those together, that the one begets the other. And that's where, hard, hard reality here. This is a bit of a test. And I don't like that it's a test, because I often fail it. Um, But what is the test here? The test is, do we really love Christ? Do we love Jesus? Do we want to obey him? Do we want to honor him? Or do we want to use him for his glory and for his power and for his majesty? And there's this sort of play where it says, you know what? That the test is going to be, are you willing to suffer? And are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to die without any of the glory just to please Christ? Just to please him, just to love him, just to glorify him. And if you're willing to do that, then glory and honor poured out upon you. But if we're so about, really, we just want the glory. We just want the honor. We just want the power right here and right now. At the end of days, God's going to come and say, you know, know, I I know what your heart really wanted. And it reflected in every moment of your life, you were about your own glory. You are about yourself. You are about your kingdom. 
I hate saying that because it's incredibly convicting. And it makes me realize that, you know what, I, I'm more than happy to use Jesus for his glory than I would to, to glorify him. And that's where we must always be, be <laughs> reminding ourselves of how desperately we need the cross and what we've been forgiven and then fall in love with Jesus and delight in Jesus and bask in the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is so much more glorious than this world. And you will spend, you know, the, the world will, will throw at you a million miles an hour all the things that are more glorious in their eyes. And all the things that are beautiful and all the things that are powerful and all the things that are great that you might have them. All right. We need to spend just as much time focused on the beauty and glory and majesty of Jesus that we might be willing to lose the world and find Christ. Right. Will we do that as a church? Will you do that as an individual? Will you focus on the glory and beauty of Christ, died and resurrected, and risen in majesty and glory. Let's do that together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revelations of your glory. And Father, we ask that we might be more in love with, with Jesus than we are with the things that are offered by him or the things that are offered by the world. Father, would you help us that we would love Christ and follow in his footsteps and deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. Father, what, what mercy and grace that we get to partake in the glory of Christ. But Father, would our hearts not long for that first, but for that we would love Jesus and delight in him and seek him first, that we might receive all other things in tow. Holy Spirit, would you fill us up? Would you give us eyes to see Jesus and hearts that long to rejoice in him? We pray in Jesus Christ's name.